What is up, my friends, and welcome to Drop In, where we have open, authentic conversations about all things mental health, including everything you need to know about self-confidence. So excited to have my guest on for this episode, who is a licensed clinical marriage and family therapist, who is compassion, who is a compassionate therapist and ambitious business owner. She founded and owned Soma Therapy, the largest mental health practice in Kansas. What? With over 40 mental health providers and growing, she specializes in issues related to relationship trauma, self-worth, eating disorders, and mental health for high performers. She also creates TikToks, that's where I met her, and other content weekly to help people learn about building their self-worth and having healthy relationships. Her current passion project has been creating a book to answer the FAQs she's received from her social media followers on self-worth and relationships. Her upcoming book is called Beneath the Bullshit. Oh, we love that. A guide for <laughs> rediscovering your awesomeness. It's set to be released November 1st. Jenny Helms Calvin, thanks so much for dropping in. I'm excited to be here. I'm excited to be talking with you. And finally, for us too, we've both known each other via TikTok. So it's so nice to meet in the virtual world, like you said earlier. Totally. It, it's such a surreal thing because it's like you feel like you know somebody because you've been like, I've been watching your content for, I mean, a couple years now. So it's like, I feel like I know you, but like, I don't really know you. It's such a weird feeling. It is. It's a, it's a weird, I felt the same. I was like, I feel like I know Justin already, but really, <laughs> we know the he? TikTok world part of you. Um, I know you have a great sense of humor and uh, we've connected a couple of times over other various things, but um, but yeah, no, I'm really excited to be here. So thanks for having me. Of course. Of course. First off, love the title of the book. Can't wait to talk more about that in a moment, but over 40 mental health providers at Soma Therapy, H how the heck do you manage all those people? Uh, that's a great question. I mean, number one, I have an awesome team, so I have to give them credit. It is not just me. So I think the most important thing to say is like, this is not just me running all the different things and managing all the different things. Um, I have a really amazing team with my practice manager. Uh, my husband actually has really stepped in and helped the last uh, year and a half as well. So we're we're kind of co-owners of this whole thing. And he's like the CFO and I'm the CEO and all that good stuff. But uh, yeah, I to be honest, I never thought Soma would become as big as it did. And I didn't realize how much I would love doing the business side of things because I always loved the therapy side of things. So I just kind of defaulted to thinking that I wouldn't love that part. Um, and luckily, I did challenge myself, you know, about three and a half years ago to actually pursue the business side of things and fell in love with it. And so, um, yeah, it's been a it's been three and a half years since we started Soma. Um, I founded it in. February of 2019. And we got through the pandemic. We got yeah. through all these different hurdles, but overall I'm super grateful. Um, the therapists themselves are amazing. Like I, I definitely think good people is good business. Mm -hmm. So my intention behind everything I've done along the way has been led by ensuring that the people of Soma are really good. And so I think starting with that in mind has really helped all the other pieces fall into place. 
That is so true. It holds true for so many different organization, businesses, nonprofits out there. And that that's actually what I was going to ask you about, because as therapists, I know for me, I was taught nothing about business and sort of on this spectrum of like being a therapist, being compassionate, like almost like breaking your back for anyone, anywhere. And on the dead opposite side, it feels like business, like earn a living, earn money, like income, stocks, whatever those are. I don't even know. But how did you learn about business? Was that was that easy for you? Was it difficult? I know you said that it's grown on you and now you love it. Yeah. So it, I did not know a lot at first. So I want to be real. Like I knew not a lot. I really, I shouldn't have, well, I guess on paper, I shouldn't have started a business, but I think with the mindset that I had, it worked out really well because the one thing that I've worked really hard on is being good at failing and being good at trying to learn from those failures and pivot and not take it too personally. Um, that doesn't mean it doesn't impact me from time to time because it still does. And there's still a ton that I'm learning. So I feel like it's funny. I'm like, still feel like a baby business owner in a way that I'm still learning a lot along the way. And I think the biggest mindset shift for me was realizing that we could be compassionate and help people and also be finance numbers driven to an extent as well. Mm -hmm. Like the two, I felt like in the past, the two were competing forces Mm -hmm. and they don't really have to be. And I think that holds some therapists and especially social workers. I find that social workers, they have like the, the mentality that they have to just give and give of themselves and not look at the numbers or the financial pieces of things. But when I realized when you create balance with that, you're actually better able to give of yourself long-term versus burning out. And I think it's so crucial that therapists are able to have a good energy balance of making a good living while they do the things that they do, because it is, I mean, we put a lot of energy out there. It's okay for us to get that financial security and energy back. And it doesn't make us money hungry or bad people. In fact, I think you can do more and make more of an impact when you're financially secure. So I had to change some mindsets for sure. And, uh, learn a lot along, make a lot of mistakes, a lot of mistakes. Um, including like the one with people that was like the biggest one for me was learning to fire sooner. Um, because I would just, you know, again, therapist heart, I saw their context and like, you know, they're just coming from a place of trauma, you know, and I would just let people be a part of Soma and they were just not a good fit or they just weren't, um, they were really bringing down the culture or, you know, doing things in the workplace that weren't okay. And I, I would take way too long to fire people. And so that's something that in my own journey, I've had to learn how to be okay with firing people Mm -hmm. and learning to enjoy and find meaning in the numbers, because there is a lot of meaning and things that like, I, I think as a therapist before didn't ever look at, like, I honestly lived in la la land about numbers and, you know, looking back on things, there were so many missed opportunities in ways that I didn't set myself up for financial success because I wasn't willing to learn or look at the numbers. And so anyway, that's my little like PSA out there for all you therapists in private practice or, or wanting to start a group practice that I think mindset and the ability to, um, to have that, that like ability to fail and pivot and, mm. um, don't second guess yourself. Cause again, I always thought like I wouldn't really enjoy business as much as I do, but, 
I really like it. And I'm glad that I leaned into it because I do love um, a lot of the different parts of, of owning a group practice. So much of what you said resonates with me. And the thing I go back to a lot, because as mental health professionals and in school, like I feel like we're we're constantly taught how to do the most for everyone else and not necessarily like, what are we supposed to do for ourselves? But the, uh, one of the mentalities I think of is if mental health professionals aren't the ones heading these businesses, other people will like that. Other people will find a way to profit off of mental health or anything. Why wouldn't you want mental health professionals at the head doing the good work exactly like you're doing uh, in the state of Kansas? Um, but yeah, I, I think about that a lot because so, somebody else would be doing it and who knows where their values might lie. And again, we see that way too much, especially in our good old American society here. But yeah. Pivoting a little bit, I thank you for sharing all that. Uh, yeah, so related to everything that you said, like it takes so much self confidence to run a business, and like you were talking about, like making mistakes. When I think of the topic of self confidence, I probably think of the time in my life where I was the least self confident, which was when I was in sixth grade, just started middle school, went from elementary to middle school, and I remember day one walking in, I'm like, this place looks like a factory. That play, Wadsworth, Ohio Middle School used to look like a factory <laughs> for those that don't know. But I didn't know anyone in my class. I don't think I spoke for the first two weeks. I was scared. I had no confidence at all in my ability to socialize, to get my schoolwork done. I just remember being terrified and scared. How do you think of self-confidence if you were to define it? What is this? Yeah. Well, it's so tough because I think there's so many different parts that make up self-confidence and I'm not trying to cop out in this answer, I promise. Um, and if I had to give something super general, real self-confidence is knowing yourself and, and having a sense of acceptance of both the strengths and the weaknesses and being able to lean into being really honest about that and pursuing something that's bigger than you. Because I think what happens for people when they're in that mindset of just being almost like scared and paralyzed and trust me, I definitely, that's part of my journey too, um, is that you're kind of, you get into this space where you're thinking way too much about yourself and how you're coming across to other people and trying to like almost kind of manipulate their perception of you instead of really leaning into who am I? And like, how do I develop acceptance and love for myself? Like both the parts that are, that are strengths and the parts that are weaknesses. It doesn't mean you have to like love them all the time, but to accept them and to know what they are and, and to have something that you care about and you're willing to work towards as this like human, that is both these strengths and weaknesses um, that makes your brain go to that space more and care more about that mission that you really care about than how other people see you. Because I think our only responsibility is to show up as we are, um, authentically, like being able to, again, step into like where we have strengths and where we have weaknesses. And I see a lot of people, they just get so confused in that they, they try to kind of be something other than what they are, or they feel a lot of shame. And so they might not really fully share their weaknesses or tell people, yeah, you're right. Like I, I kind of messed up. Like even that whole narrative around like accountability or, 
or being able to say, I don't know, there's a lot of people that feel like they always have to have an answer um, or that they can't be human. Right. And I think actually the people who are, who struggle with perfectionism and, and overachieving, they really struggle with their self-confidence, even though these are high achieving people, because there's this part of them that, that is scared to lean into like being honest. Um, There's that lack of, of self-confidence that like we get to be flawed and it's okay. Right. Like you're still worthy, even though you're a human with your flaws. So Ultimately, there's all these different pieces that make it make up self-confidence. But, you know, if I'm putting myself back in middle school, which funny enough, my middle school's initials were PMS. So there you go. Pickneyville Middle School. Wow. Wow. (laughs) Um, Very fitting. PMS Middle School. Um, I, uh, I definitely struggled with that as well. And I think the big piece was that I would show up really inauthentically. Like I tried to be something I wasn't. And so even if people liked me, I always questioned if they actually liked me because they liked what I put out there. They didn't actually like me, like me with all my flaws and my anxieties and um, the things that I was struggling with. And so I think a lot of what people do is anything that they feel shameful about, they just gloss over or kind of unintentionally lie about, if that makes any sense. I hate to call it a lie, but it is at the end of the day, we're kind of like being dishonest with people. Um, and it makes us feel worse because at the end of the day, those who are connected to us, we don't feel like they truly know who we are. And, um, the people I see with the most self-confidence, you, you can just, it's not like the person who's necessarily out there and always like, I'm doing great things. It's actually a person who's very quiet and not quiet necessarily, but like, they're just okay with being who they are. They're also the person who's the first to say, like, I don't know. Mm -hmm. So a person I know that is like comfortable with uncertainty and doesn't have to have all the answers and can say like, huh, maybe I need to look at this a different way, or maybe I did mess up. I think of that person as a very confident person too, because I think a lot of folks, when they struggle with their self-confidence, it's almost like this ego part of them comes out and they feel like they don't, they just can't ever be, um, imperfect so it's just permission to be all of who you are as much as you said jenny you weren't going to define it i i think you freaking defined it i think you (laughs) i think you nailed it on the head i was not in long because everything you said it's like it is it's about a certain level of authenticity and you said strength and weaknesses a number of times and I, I know for me and my own perfectionism, I've struggled with that of wanting to be everything and just wanting to be literally perfect at whatever I'm throwing energy at instead of really embracing. There are just some things that no matter how much time or energy I spend on it, it's likely not going to be a strength for me. And that's okay. But mm-hmm. I was kind of wondering about this and you hit on it a little bit, but when you usually see people with low self-confidence, is it normally in like one area, like, or is it sort of this global thing or does it kind of depend? I think what happens is people will project it onto one or two areas of their life. But I think overall, it usually comes down to this core belief that they don't feel like they're worthy mm-hmm. or that, you know, there there's usually some core belief that's running the show And that impacts every area of their life. But for whatever reason, we have our flavors of where we'll kind of project that into, whether that's, you know, body image or at work or in our relationships. 
Um, so there are folks I, I know that come to me and they're like, only in these areas. I'm great in all these other areas. And I'm like, are you though? Like, <laughs> are you, are we, and, again, <laughs> <laughs> and I, I challenge them because usually when they get down to that core message, there are ways that it's leaking into every area of life, but for them, they are, they express it in only specific areas. Totally. So, and then there are folks that I do see, it feels like it's kind of this debilitating thing that is happening across the board. So it's a, it's a both and, but I think the real answer is it comes from a core belief when we, when, even when we're just struggling in one area, usually when you distill it down, it's a core belief that we, that can impact every area of our life. Absolutely. So, Absolutely. Yeah. I know. I think, I think of different times when I was uh, getting my doctorate degree, the middle grad school, which I always share was another huge low in my life. I think if you would have asked me at different times of like, oh, how's your self-confidence? I'd been like, oh, I'm being a new therapist low, but uh, not in other areas. But yet as years have gone by and I reflect back, I'm like, oh, there was, there was more areas. <laughs> there were more areas that I felt badly about. And it was just kind of showing its face best on uh, accepting that I don't know what I'm doing as a new therapist. And that was just really hard to embrace for me. Yeah. Well, and I, and I think again, I would, I'd be curious, like, is it for you? Is it more about needing to know what you're doing in general? Like is uncertainty hard, right? Mm -hmm. Like, is that as a concept for you difficult I'm also calling myself out because it definitely is for me. So I'll, I'll just speak to my own journey. But um, but that's where it's like you, when you distill it down, you start to see you're like, oh, so I only feel good when I when I know what I'm talking about. You know what I mean? Or like you just start to understand that, oh, that's why I feel good in these areas, but not the other ones. Um, but truly, it's it's comes down to this idea that I have to know like I have to have the answers. I have to have certainty versus, you know, how do I, how do I feel okay with uncertainty, which is really right. hard, really, really hard for all of us. Um, but yeah. And also just like the humanity piece of like, yeah, I struggle with uncertainty, but like accepting that, <laughs> you know, because the other part of it is, and I know I do this to myself. Like if I'm really struggling with something with anxiety, half the battle is just embracing that I'm struggling with my anxiety in the first place. Yep. That's totally. half the battle to be like, okay, permission to be um, someone struggling with anxiety right now in this area. Mm -hmm. um, and I don't know if you feel this specific pressure. I know for myself, when I first went to grad school, I was like, okay, being a therapist, I got to have my shit all together all the time. Oh. Oh and I'm God. like, gosh, darn, that's a lot of pressure. Um <laughs> impossible. My mental health is going to be perfect all the time, you know? And, and so, um, it was, it was really hard for me to lean into like, okay, I get to be a therapist and a human. Like I can struggle with my mental health while I'm a therapist. And that doesn't make me a bad therapist. Um, that every therapist is going to have like the stuff that they're going through, because again, they are also human. Yes. And if there's anything I feel like in the more recent history of mental health, especially when you interact with people who are on social media, like yourself as professionals, that I feel like there's been this big shift in the field 
of people being more open about their own mental health struggles. Like I know for sure, even in when I was getting my master's in 2009 and then yeah, started my doc in 2011, people still weren't that open, like Mm -mm. through graduate school or whatever. And it's like, maybe I need to pull some people in graduate school right now to kind of see, but like, I really felt like we were promoting more stigma. Like, and that Mm -hmm. wasn't that long ago. That was like 10 years ago where it's like, we're trying to help people and become therapists, psychologists or whatever. And we're not open about our own struggles and that- yeah, we need to go to therapy and that, you know, we have ups and downs. Like I I just, I think of all the professors I've had and they're great in so many ways, but I don't, I really don't think that was modeled. Like it's, it's okay to struggle and it by being open about it and vulnerable about it, it's how you model, you know, practicing what you preach. I I didn't get a lot of that through school. Yep. And, and if anything, I think it can, I mean, obviously there's, there's vulnerability with intention, right. With, with good, like purpose and intent. So I do want to asterisk that, even though I'm a big proponent of vulnerability. So let me just be clear. I think, um, when it's appropriate and how we can like share it to actually be helpful, to actually help people realize that we're all a part of this tribe of humanity, that none of us are immune to that, especially those impact, like, I would say that although we try to meet our clients where they're at, we're still in this weird dynamic where often clients will come to us and they do see us as like this expert or this person in power. And when they see that we're human too, um, not to make the sessions about us, but I do, I do share with clients, you know, when it makes sense, like, Hey, like you're not alone. And especially I know, um, I was listening to your other podcast about eating disorders and that's been a thing in the eating disorder community, you know, even maybe 30 years ago, people weren't sharing that they were clinicians that had also had eating disorders. And now it's super common, which is really amazing. And I do think it helps because I'll share a little bit about my own journey. When I was first diagnosed with an eating disorder, several people in my life told me I would never recover. Like the, the, the word, the, messaging that I got was, you'll always have to live with this. You'll never recover. And that really sucked. That was super demotivating for me because I was like, well, why even try? Like I'm already struggling to want to try anyway. Why try even more now that I know that like, it's just like a lost cause. And the therapist that I was working with, she shared with me that she had had one and she'd been able to you know, fully recovered to the extent of like, she hadn't had any relapses for, for decades. And, um, it just, it gave me hope Mm. and it, it helped. It was like the first person too, that I remember thinking like, you get it because all the other people in my life were like, I don't understand this, but like, good luck. Like they were like, they weren't trying to be a jerk. They weren't trying to, but like to be, to be fair, if you've never had an eating disorder, it's probably a weird thing to explain because most people are like, I just put food in my mouth. And I mean, I, I know that they probably understand on the disordered eating level, but when it gets to the extremes, they're like, why don't you just eat? Or why don't you just stop purging? Or why don't you just, you know, insert thing? And I've heard that plenty of times from the family members of my clients, unfortunately. But um, when you have a person who's like, I've, I've been through that journey and there is hope, there is healing that can be so impactful. And I've seen how that can just like, I've seen a lot of my clients kind of almost like there's something that like 
changes in them, not all of them, but there's been several moments I've had with clients when I've been able to share just a small piece of my journey where like, they've been able to be like, wow, that was really helpful. Um, and one in particular was to a parent. I had shared a little piece of, of, you know, stuff from that I had healed from in my own trauma journey. He came back the next week and he was like, that was one of the most profound things that I've like heard and has completely changed the way that I look at parenting now. And I was like, okay, cool. Like that's what that's for. Right. Like it's, it's important that if like, we don't have those moments of humanity with people, I, I do think we miss a lot and we miss a lot of opportunities for connection, for growth, for vulnerable leadership. Um, Mm -hmm. I think if anything, people end up respecting people more when they can be human and they can say, I make mistakes and, um, let me call myself out. Right. Like versus like, I think of like people that are like these leaders, but they're not, I mean, I'm not going to name names, but think about leaders in your life that have never taken accountability and they made some big mistakes, right. Or even little mistakes. It's just like, we kind of lose respect and trust in that person over time. And so I think part of vulnerability too, is like, how do we call ourselves out and hold ourselves accountable and not like, Oh, I'm so bad. And like doing the whole, like, I'm a terrible person thing, but in the like, yeah, like I really messed up. I'm working on that. That's something I struggle with. Like when somebody says it like that and it's not like a pity party or something that's really like um, used in a in a harmful way, it can be so powerful. It can just be, yeah. Anyway, I'm going on a tangent, but you know what I mean. I to- totally. And thank you so much, Jenny, for sharing part of your story. It's always, even that, like you sharing those aspects of uh, recovering from an eating disorder. I, I now know you better. And I know everyone listening mm-hmm. knows you better now. And it's it's a beautiful model. And I, I, I totally think, and it, again, it's something not talked a lot about in graduate school when you're going for mental health, but appropriate use of self-disclosure. When you know that person you're talking with is a human who's gone through hard times, gone through lows, gone through their own flavor of struggle. It does. It gives you so much hope. It changes things. I'm thinking of all the various therapists I've had. All of them took an opportunity when I worked with them to disclose something to me, and it did change the way I thought about them for the better. And it changed therapy. It's like, again, like you said it best, it's not about us as a therapist. However, if you don't model that you're also a flawed human being, it certainly feels top down. It certainly mm-hmm. feels like, yeah, I'm some expert who's got this whole thing figured out, which yes, we do know a lot about mental health and behavior, but we're not perfect. We go through lows too. And that doesn't mean that there's something wrong with us. That just means we're human. Um, and it takes so much confidence. Like you're saying, it takes a lot of confidence to be vulnerable, to be authentic. Um Part of me wonders like a little bit, like when you see people with low self-confidence, does it typically correlate with other mental health diagnoses? Can self-confidence be a part of pretty much anything in the mental health spectrum? Are there things that you see that correlate with it? Yeah, that's a good question. I don't know that I've fully thought of if there's like certain diagnoses that low self-esteem tends to be correlated with, I would say across the board, I see it with most everything. Yeah. Um, I think it's less, maybe it's less correlated to some of the 
Well, I don't, I want to answer this as, as fairly and honestly as possible. I don't know that I know that. I know that. Okay. So in my work that I do, I feel like I see it a lot and I see it across the board with everybody because I work with clients who struggle with eating disorders. I work with clients who struggle with relational trauma and like attachment wounds and things like that. Um, I, I work with people who are, um, what they would say have, like, they'd say they have issues of over-control. So I typically lump it into this category of saying it's high performers, just because those with issues of over-control do tend to be high performers. That's just one of the features of it. But when you say issues of over-control, people are like, what does that even mean? Like, they're like, what? Yeah, I don't understand. Yeah yeah, yeah. 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 It's very like therapist jargony. And all of those are rooted in low self-esteem. And so I know those diagnoses typically are, I, I am not sure about like, if I look at the whole spectrum, that's a great question. It's always felt kind of global to me. Like I think of like, I've seen clients with depression, with anxiety, with trauma, like, yeah, certainly with, uh, like body image issues. Like I'm, it, it feels like one of those global things, like so many people can struggle with self-confidence in some realm. So when you see someone in therapy, like how, how do you help somebody with self-confidence? I know there's not like, here's the one size fits <laughs> all for everyone with depression. Here you go. Jenny's going to oh, tell yeah. us here's exactly what you're going to, but what are just some things? Like if you were going to paint a picture, what are some things you work on with someone who might have low self-confidence? At the end of the day, when I'm working with clients, a big part of the work we're doing is really discovering what are the stories or the bullshit, as I talk about in my book, the, the bullshit stories or the stories that don't serve us that are holding us back? And where are those core beliefs, like the core beliefs of those stories, like I'm not good enough or I'm not lovable or, you know, I wasn't good enough for this thing, you know, because typically those are rooted in trauma, right? Whether it happened in adulthood, but often in childhood, um, that's just been my experience of seeing things like a lot of the issues of over control and eating disorders and things that I've worked with. A lot of these things stemmed from core beliefs held from traumatic experiences in childhood, or even, you know, trauma can sound like such a big word. It can be the way that our undeveloped brain perceived and made sense of a situation and wrote a story about it. Right. And the story wasn't accurate, but it helped us survive. And it helped us get through that period of our life, but we kept it. And, and it's funny because the brain is really funny. It doesn't like to, once it creates a story, it's like, that's the story and we're sticking to it. And so it does this thing. I know you probably know all of this, but just to explain to like the people listening, you know, it will do this thing where throughout your life, it will look for more and more things to reconfirm that story, right? The attribution bias. It'll just look for all the ways that that story is still true and it will write off any of the ways that it's not true. And so often when I find that people are kind of stuck in these patterns of feeling crappy about themselves and even just like the actions of low self-esteem, right? Because a lot of our low self-esteem is not just the beliefs, but then also the actions that we're taking where we're showing to ourselves that we don't really respect ourselves or we don't really love ourselves. So a lot of the actions that we're taking against loving ourselves, respecting ourselves. And those beliefs are, are really at the core of these bullshit beliefs that we pick up in childhood with our undeveloped brains. And sometimes these happen in traumas later on in life too. It's not just childhood stuff, but 
Um, I find that usually it just gets reconfirmed with all these different experiences after the fact. And so again, I don't, there's no magic one way of like treating that, but I think it's important to see that. I did just think of something sort of related, but I, I like, I'm tempted to not talk about it, but I feel like I would be doing a disservice not to. Yeah. I'm going to say something that not everybody's going to maybe love, or I might sound a little bit like a little too out there for saying, but I believe that culturally we are taught because of the way that we're marketed to and because of the way that our society works. And I'm not here to say like, I don't like, there are parts of our society I don't like, but like, I'm not trying to say I hate our culture because that's not my point. I do. (laughs) I hate our culture. I said it. You said it. You're like, I'm going to just talk about it. There's a lot of things I don't like though. Dr. J said it. No, it doesn't all suck, but there are certainly parts of our society that need a lot of help. There's, and there's a lot, there's a lot that needs a lot of help. And I'm happy to go into the, well, actually in the book, I go into different parts that I'm like, okay, this is bullshit and this is bullshit. But one of the things that is really bullshit is I do believe from a young age, because we're in a consumer-based culture, having low self-esteem is is something that is that has been taught to us and actually encouraged in us. Because if we have high self-esteem, if we feel good about ourselves, guess what? We're not going to buy as many things. We're not going to be as consumer driven. Um, we're going to be satisfied with less in life and happy. And again, happy people don't buy as much stuff. Like it's just the truth of it. And so we are taught to believe a bunch of bullshit that makes us feel like we need more things or more experiences or more whatever to feel okay about ourselves. And it's like ingrained in us to not like, yeah, it's ingrained in us to not feel great about ourselves. Also, uh, I think Mark Manson was the one to make this, uh, this to bring this idea into fruition, but he talks about how the more that we have less struggle in our society, like we just don't have to go like hunt our food and do different things that we used to have to do as people, we will kind of almost like a stagnant brain will almost kind of create problems to, to kind of perseverate about. And so I think it's this interesting conjunction of like our culture is moving into where a lot of things are easier. We get them quicker and at the same time, we are inundated with these messages of not being good enough and needing more things and or to be something different or to be something more. Mm-hmm. And so our brain is kind of like it's already struggling with the way it does the attribution bias stuff and, and how it can like make sense of trauma with the developmental brain. But then you also think about the culture that we're in and the environment that we're in. And it's just this like perfect storm of creating a, a culture of people that don't feel good about themselves. That could not be more true. It's absolutely true. I think just one area of example of that is just the market against aging. Like we are oh, taught yeah. from an incredibly young age now that God forbid you get a wrinkle. Something yes. that literally we Everyone all gets. get. That literally maybe only babies. And I babies even yes. have wrinkles. But like, it's like you are taught to fight against. This is one example. You're taught to fight against something all of our skin is going to do and make you feel awful if you're not spending. And listen, I spend the money on creams. I'm not Yeah, kidding. no, I totally I, I get spend it. The money. 
But it, I totally get it. When you zoom out, what are we being told? What are what are we being yeah. taught about like wrinkles and how we look and how we should look? I think I think about that often of like we are always all of us are on this train of fight against aging. We are going to lose that battle. But that's a huge business to say in our society, especially American society, that aging is bad. It is bad to look older. But that, I don't I think that's a cultural phenomenon like you're you know, relating to. I don't think every culture treats getting older and aging like like we do here, because we definitely we frown upon people looking older. Yeah. Well, and I think in general, we objectify a lot of people, ourselves, other people. And um, I mean, a lot of women get objectified. <laughs> I'm just going to throw it out there. Yep. I know guys are too. Here's the, here's the sad part. As we've been trying to heal like the objectification of women, I think what's happened, unfortunately, is it's also transferred into like, well, let's objectify guys too. It's equal. And I'm like, no, 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 no. <laughs> like, that's not the point wasn't we we want to do like the hurt to, to men as well and like create that culture within them. The whole point was like, how do we treat people not as objects so much and realize like, that we're not just supposed to be what we look like to the world, right? And that shouldn't be our point of focus, whether it's about aging, weight, you know, all these other body part things that are we're inundated with, with like how you're quote unquote supposed to look like. But the unfortunate part is we have given currency to beauty. We have given currency to, um, or false, I call it false power, false power to, um, like people looking a certain way, but I don't think that at the end of the day, when people actually play into this, like even if they're the Instagram model that gets all the likes because they are beautiful, they're actually objectifying themselves. Like they're, you know, they don't, I don't think they're connecting those dots, but I think that also happens. And when we objectify ourselves in many ways, right. If we objectify people by saying you are what you do or you are what you make, Mm-hmm. Um, that's, that's another form of it. And that's when we true. do that, like we actually disconnect from people and we're less happy. We, for, we forget our human, like how to connect with people and humanity, which like the whole point of all of this is how do we, how do we actually connect with other people and ourselves in a way that's real? And yeah, I, I think it just feeds into that narrative of, um, when we objectify ourselves, we're less happy and we need to buy more shit so we can be, Whatever object we're supposed to be. That's right. That's right. And that object is forever (laughs) changing and usually held on a standard that none of us actually look like that. But I I feel like we'll have to do another episode where we tackle the the many areas in our culture that are fucked up because there's plenty of them. But before we get to all these awesome Instagram questions, there's so many. Thank you all, as always, for asking such thoughtful questions. What can you tell us about the book? You referenced it a few times. <laughs> we know it's coming out November 1st. Give us a little teaser. What can we expect? Yeah. So I originally was not necessarily planning on writing a book, but then I got so much feedback about, hey, what's a book on this? Hey, what's a podcast on this? Hey, can you tell me more about this? And at the end of the day, I couldn't answer those questions all the time in real time. And I was recommending like, five books and six TED talks and like all these different things, which I realized was a very scattered way of trying to help people who were having the same, at least, you know, the, my TikTok followers and my clients, there were some major themes that would just come up again and again and again. And I was like, okay, 
how about I just write a book <laughs> and I just put these themes about the things that I that I hear the most frequently talked about, you know, in the therapy work I've done and the coaching work I've done and the, you know, questions on TikTok and Instagram. Um, I try to just distill it into these different categories. And I also like, I do enjoy writing. So that was like a fun project for me too. So that really filled my own bucket. So eh, self-serving as well. I'll keep it real. Um, but ultimately I just wanted to put these themes into a book and I'm, I'm addressing a lot of the themes that I hear people talk about when it comes to their self-confidence and self-worth and relationships. I have a lot of people that really struggle to be authentic and uh, move in a way that feels really good in relationships. So a lot of my clients and, and followers, they ask me questions about, you know, themselves, but also about like, how do I, how do I fix this thing in my relationship or how do I fix this thing within myself? So it's not showing up in my relationship. So it's really a book about really learning about ourselves and healing those bullshit stories that we tell ourselves and then the other piece of it is how that ends up being bullshit in our relationships and how we can heal that too. So it's a both and there. Um, so that's what the book's about. We all have those bullshit stories. I know listeners right now reflecting. I'm thinking about the bullshit stories I got rattling around my head. Uh, Beneath the Bullshit, A Guide for Rediscovering Your Awesomeness. November 1st, definitely jump on pre-order now. I know you will. Let's get to some questions. Let's let's see what the old world of Instagram has asked us. Thank you as always, everyone out there. Y'all always attack that question box in the stories. Really, really appreciate it. I used to have self-confidence, but it just created distance because I was told I was too much. Do you have any advice? I would be really curious about who called you too much and if that was coming from a healthy space. Because at the end of the day, there's a lot of people that will say people are quote unquote too much. And that's not actually coming from a healthy space. Too much may mean that they, some people struggle with people being happy. Some people struggle with that emotion, like not in themselves and in other folks. And so if they are not, if they don't have any capacity for people being happy or being genuine or being confident or being different. Like, I mean, I've, I've even heard people call people too much for being extroverted. Right. And and kind of labeling things versus it being really about, you know, what is that? I think I get curious, like, what does it mean to be too much quote unquote? And I think when we get into a space where we're like, you know, not that we can't do some self-reflection and be like, was there anything that I could learn from that? But if we do that and we're like, not really to be able to step into like, okay, this person thinks I'm too much. I'm not their person, you know? And that's part of like that journey too. And, and it's, it's hard and it's a sucky part of actually getting healthier is we can often have to, we often have to cut off the like people and relationships in our life that are not, that are not healthy or supportive of the goodness, you know, of the change. And sometimes change is just hard at first. Like maybe this person would think you're too much, you know, for a little bit and then eventually be like, okay, actually I'm wrong. You know, sometimes they do lean into that and they, they change. I think I just get curious, like, are you really too much? Mm -hmm. Is that really what's going on? Or is it really something else with this person? And are you going to be okay with the fact that they think you're too much? 
Yeah, that is, it's so important to check the source with these types of things when we get feedback from people. And I also like what you threw out there because I agree with it of like, we can always reflect, you can always self-reflect and we can go to other people in our life, right? Another close friend, a family member and be like, hey, you know, do you think I'm too much? Like, is that your perception of me? Because sometimes, and I know this to be true, like sometimes we get feedback as we go through life and it says something about us. But mm-hmm. yeah, if you don't check the source, anyone can say anything, especially in the era of social media we live. People, people will project their own insecurities and discomforts all day long with, you know, freely. So love that. Reflect on the source. And yeah, turn to some people that you trust in your life. Ask them, see what they think. Because I think a good level of self-confidence never feels like too much. It actually feels very secure, at least for me, when I'm around someone that I know they have a certain level of confidence. Because there's there's a certain security you feel being next to them, having conversations about them, that like as you were alluding to before, they're comfortable in their own skin. And that, that yeah. it's just comfortable to be around somebody who who is comfortable in their own skin. It is if you're a healthy person. Or I shouldn't say healthy person across the board. (laughs) I should say unless, okay, let me actually, let me reframe that. I'm going to reframe it as the only time it wouldn't be necessarily a celebrate, like something that's celebrated or feels secure is if there's something that's threatening about that person being self-confident. So valid. So valid. So I just want to validate you that you're probably a pretty secure person since you do celebrate people's self-confidence and that does feel comfortable for you. So that's like a really cool thing about you. Like, I think that's an awesome part of you to like celebrate. So I'm just going to throw that out there and for everybody else that resonates with that. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much for that. Yeah. Yeah. In general. And I think a lot, not everybody, but a lot of people like I'm, I'm the worst person towards myself. I have a really strong inner critic, but generally around other people, I it's easy to be compassionate. Um, but oh, yeah, another great question here. Is there something small I can do each day to maybe increase my confidence? I have a busy schedule. Is there anything I can do? Okay. Interesting that it's, well, okay, yes. And that's going to be specific to whatever right your flavor of like lacking self-confidence looks like right because when i when you think about it you're going to want to think of like where are the areas i struggle with this the most and and if i'm trying to do this like very step by step approach which i think for all of us it's actually helpful to start small to not like try to do something like super outside of our comfort zone um but i think it's getting getting really clear on being able to figure out okay what is it that i really struggle with and and feel insecure about and what's What's a small thing I can do to challenge that? Mm-hmm. Um, for instance, I had a client. I'm like, how do I de-identify this enough? She really, really hates letting people down. Like, this is one of her things. It's like, like I can't let people down. She kind of takes emotional responsibility where it's not hers sometimes when people feel disappointed. And that's like, that's been a, that's been a source of struggle for her. So one of the small actions, um, that she was going to do was she has been working towards once a week, she will share how she feels about something when she knows that it's not how the other person feels Mm. and not in a mean way, but just like, even just like practicing, like being able to be, uh, 
potentially disappoint another person or potentially, you know, disagree with another person. And even one of the smaller challenges was, you know, she, she would keep jobs because she was afraid of disappointing her boss, Um, which I've been laughing because I'm like, it's so relatable. Like I've done other things and I could totally call it my own journey too, of like things I've done and relationships I've kept around because I didn't want to hurt the other person's feelings. And so one of her recent things too, was quitting a job. Like something like that, where it's like, you know, she realized at the end of the day that she was keeping this job to not disappoint her boss, that it wasn't really coming from an authentic place of her wanting to be there, which at the end of the day, like being in the other role, like being an employer, that breaks my heart. If someone is literally sticking around in a job because they're afraid that I'll be disappointed, like my disappointment is totally my responsibility. Um, And, you know, I want people to be happy where they are. Like, that's super important to me. So like, there's always, you know, the other side of it and educating on that. So I guess if someone's super busy, you really have to distill down what is it you struggle with and what are some small ways that you can challenge that part of you? That being said, I'd also still say like, if you're super busy and this isn't a big pain point in your life, like, (laughs) I don't know, like sometimes I question that I'm like, are you too busy for yourself? Because that might be part of the story. So (laughs) I'm just calling you out a little bit. (laughs) Yo, that was so well said. Are you too busy for yourself? I I know anytime <laughs> in my life I've said that I was too busy for myself. I just recorded a great podcast with Dr. Rubenstein all about a burnout. And I've, I've used that excuse when I've been in burnout before of like, I'm too busy. I'm overwhelmed here. I don't have time to possibly take care of myself. And it's like, then I'll stay in burnout. And I have, <laughs> right? I've stayed in that sinking ship until I'm like, oh yeah, this isn't working. But we all do this. I do this. This is a thing that happens. And I love that to your point, like it's hard to give specifics when we don't know exactly what area is holding you back. Because I, I think of clients that I've worked with where sometimes their path forward is recognizing and honoring the small steps, successes, progress they're already making. Like there's mm-hmm. certainly clients I've worked with where they're so quick to minimize any achievement, anything that's going well for them, any progress, because they're not, they don't have the $5 million house, you know, in the Bahamas, like some YouTuber does. It's like, you are minimizing your own metric here. So it's like, for some people I've worked with, it's like, it's taking that pause every day and be like, what can I celebrate about myself? What small step did I take today? Um, Mm. Because certainly there's, again, and I'm just thinking of like specific ways I've worked with people. But again, people can just get in habits of like, you have some ungodly metric that is like, well, this is until I achieve this, then I won't be successful. And part of that is honoring every day we can take small steps forward. And that is how we live a fulfilling life. Not saying yes. I have to have that house in the Bahamas. Although again, I would like it. <laughs> I would very much like it. Still thinking yes. about it. Yes. Well, and I, you brought up such a great point. That is so good. I'm so glad you brought that up because I think the, the, when this happens, then I'll be happy or like when this, then I'll be confident mentality is total bullshit. Um, in fact, we just, I mean, it should, we, I don't know if you've done this yourself. I've totally done this, but I've also seen it so many times in clients and in the research, it shows like that mentality itself. It's the dopamine loop. Like you actually are never happy. Like you never, like 
Well, first of all, none of us ever arrive like in our place of perfect destination, happiness, confidence. Um, but like you said, like giving yourself credit and, um, I talk about enjoying the journey. Like if you yeah. can't enjoy the journey, you're missing the whole point because you're never, none of us ever arrive. So might as well, this is it. find, find the goodness. Yeah. Find the yeah. goodness and like what we're doing right now. Right. And I think that is such a, like, we're in a, I mean, I don't want to go back to the culture topic, but long story short, we are in a very dopamine based culture. Like we, um, we are taught our whole lives. We are what we do and what we achieve versus like how to be really happy with where we're at and with ourselves. Amen. Uh, that could not be more true. Yeah. And it's, it's different work. It's different energy when you start embracing what you do have. And that's not to say, cause someone out there always says this and I agree with them. It's not to say you don't go through shitty times. All of us go yeah. through bad times that we don't want to through the shit storm be like, what good is there today? But also <laughs> when you're a therapist and you've worked with a lot of people, you see people who chronically, no matter what the weather, they're still thinking this sucks and I can't be happy until so both are true. There's certainly been awful times I've gone through in my own trauma where if you would have told me, you know, to honor something, I'd have been like, you know, there's nothing to honor and that's valid. But again, many people, you just get caught in this rat race of level up, level up, level up, like keep burning yourself out and you can't be happy until. And then, yeah, that's how people wake up one day and have a midlife crisis at 50. And they're like, what has my life been about? Yeah, we go back on society and capitalism and all of these ways that we're just driven that we're going to feel better once we get the new car. But you're going to get that car and get in certain positions and you're still going to be left with, how do I spend my life each day? What are the habits in my life each day? Next next yeah. question, because I feel like we can totally yeah. hit that one a, a sure. bunch more. This is like a general one, but a really important one I think a lot of people can relate to. How do I stop or lessen my negative self-talk? Hmm. That's a good question. I because to me, I don't think about stopping it. I think about like when you're actually just pursuing other thoughts and other like habits, it kind of like you just don't have enough space, you don't have enough space for those thoughts to be there anymore. Like when you're actually, you know, a big a big thing that's been really helpful for me is like when I care about something bigger than my insecurities, they just don't mean as much. Like my brain will be like, wow, like I'll have those insecurities, but it won't stay there as long because I'm like, okay, at the end of the day, what's more important to me, like living in this space or, or chasing after the thing that like truly like means more to me and is, is what I value, which is like, not like necessarily a goal, but like for me, sometimes that's something like, um, I want to be a peaceful, loving human being. And if my anxious and security thought goes against that, right? Like it, like, it's kind of like, okay, at the end of the day, I just would rather be, you know, loving and, and, and giving um, of that energy to myself and other people. I think the other thing too, is like, I know in my journey has been being okay with like, um, like as they come up, not judging ourselves. Like I really struggled a lot with shame and I had to really differentiate thoughts. Like I used to think things like I am this. And now I'd be like, I'm feeling this way about myself or I struggled with this or I, I failed at this thing, not I am a failure. But I didn't realize how much my own self-talk was not just like 
um, it was inaccurate because I'd like paint myself as this thing and make myself bad and like shameful versus just being like, nah, like I'm just struggling with this right now. I'm feeling anxious right now. I'm struggling with anxiety today, you know, and that really helps to put it in perspective just a little bit, not like from that, like, Hey, like, let me love mantra myself into, I feel beautiful today. Like, you know, you can't go from like, I feel crappy to I feel beautiful, but just feel like more realistic. Like I feel crappy right now and that's okay. Like I get to be a human that has days or moments or hours that I feel crappy, you know, permission to feel crappy. Um, but before I used to struggle with that. I used to shame myself and really like, if I ever did have a negative thought, I'd be shaming myself. And then I would get stuck in it because I was so, because I was shaming myself essentially. But that's, that's been a part of the journey I've seen be very helpful for other people is like, what do they care more about? And, um, being more accurate with their thoughts, you know, like, and maybe that's like the CBT part of me, like a little bit of CBT, how can we be a little bit more accurate, right? Like, and not completely catastrophize or be black and white. I I know what's helped you. Yeah. Well, I, I related, I think there's a lot of mindfulness in what you're saying too. And definitely there's a great book out there called thoughts without a thinker. Um, that's heavily embedded in sort of this mindfulness practice of, how do you not become attached to any one thought or experience, mm-hmm. right? And that has been a huge shift for me, for sure. Because I, I agree, when we widen our window of perception, you notice all things. And all things include a lot of neutral things. But yeah. I know me and everyone out there, you've had that per- thing where it's like, you have the one bad thing happen. And especially for me, having OCD, and you just obsess about it for how many hours where it's like, yes, that one bad thing did happen. Maybe you do need some time to process or whatever, but your your window of perception has closed where if you stay open to it, you start recognizing what you're eating for lunch. You recognize that your boss actually complimented you, you know, on this good thing. And yes, they gave you a few critiques as well, but I, I, I'm a big practitioner of mindfulness and yoga because I think it keeps you open to all the information and all the experiences that are out there instead of getting fixed on just like one, again, one bad feedback or one bad moment because moments are always passing. But sometimes, and I know this and struggling with OCD is like the the most torturesome thing is always my mind of replaying, reliving, deciding I'm just going to stay in some moment that happened instead of, again, tuning into what is real right now around me, perceptions, things I see, because that keeps me more fluid. And then I move through it and it actually helps me cope with that bad thing way better than being like, oh, this must mean I related to you. Like, I'm an awful person now, and now I'm never going to be good at this job or this thing, which of course is false. Right. But it's so, yeah, but I I love that because you're right. Like when you're in that moment, your brain just goes to that thing and it like creates all the like negativity around it. And I, I don't believe I have OCD, but I can definitely, I definitely have like obsessive thoughts at times. Um, and I've been very, I've learned a lot. Actually, one of my really good friends specializes in OCD. She's badass. Um, but like, she's taught me so much about it and it's, it's helped me have so much like empathy and understanding of like, sometimes your brain just gets stuck on something right. and you cannot logic yourself out of it. Right. 
And that's also like, it's such an important point that you brought up because I think some people are like, okay, that's cool. Let me try to logic myself out of this. And they're like, I can't. Now I feel like even more of a failure. Right. Right. But I think that, right. And it just feeds into that loop versus like you said, like, you know, another option is, is, is expansion, right? Like this thing. And let's bring in the rest of the world too. Like, how do we, we get back to center and like bring in that mindfulness. And I think there was actually an OCD practitioner that was talking about how like a drop of poison in a glass will poison you, but then a drop of poison in an ocean is nothing. Right. And that was like this beautiful metaphor for like, how do we just like have that thought and it's okay and expand. And I was like, that is such a great, like that was helpful for me. I was like that that's helped me in my own anxiety as well. So beautiful. Leave it to some therapists to have just some bomb ass metaphors. I feel like <laughs> I'm always Word. impressed. That feels like it really is like a gift. And maybe someone good with metaphors out there will be like, no, you need to work at it. But I know people <laughs> in our field who are just like, they're natural at that, where I'm like, I don't know if I've ever shout out to any client out there who's like, you said something smart once, something metaphorically smart. Cause I don't think that's in my strengths and weaknesses. I don't think that's my wheelhouse. <laughs> I, I bet but, you've said some smart things just a few maybe who knows who just, knows just a little bit let the record show <laughs> maybe a couple smart things have come out of this mouth but this, oh this is a question okay. that got asked in a variety of different ways from different people and i really loved it um it was does it ever stop feeling fake or i think another person put inauthentic to be confident mm. I, okay, because I'd be curious about their definition of confidence because I feel like at the, it might feel, okay, if by fake they mean uncomfortable at first, because I think for any of us, when we're switching into a space of being more honest and like real about our strengths and weaknesses and like accepting of that, it's uncomfortable. It is uncomfortable at first. And I've, in my journey personally, I've felt more authentic the more confident that I've become because part of the confidence is like being real with people. Like when you're like, you don't have to like go into detail about stuff. Cause sometimes people aren't safe for you to share that with, but you, I mean, I'm more real now when people ask me like, how's your day? You know how everybody's like, good. Like I always just be like, Oh, it's all right. It's pretty good. It's okay. Good and bad. But I'm actually trying to be like real. Like when people ask me that question, I'm like, how am I today? And answering that with authenticity on the uh, authenticity, if I could say the word, right. Just like keeping it real. And if, if I'm struggling with something being like, yeah, I'm just kind of, I'm just in a place of struggle. I don't really have to like go into detail about it. And I know that like, you can't, it's not always appropriate to say stuff like that. I get that. But for the most part, I feel like I'm lucky enough to live my life and have relationships and a career that I can truly just most of the time be exactly who I am with people. Um, and I think through that, it, it actually makes me feel more confident because I know that when I'm with people, like what we're engaging in is authentic and real. And that, that, that gives me more confidence at the end of the day versus like before I used to be so self-conscious about everything. Like I remember as in middle school, thinking about the way I was sitting in a chair. Like I was like, am I sitting in a chair? Okay. Like, is this okay? And I would literally be perseverating about the way I was sitting in a chair 
for like an entire hour and hear nothing of what was actually going on around me. Like it was the worst, like my, well, I shouldn't say the worst, but it was a, it was a rough time in my life. And because of that, like, I would say that I really struggled with confidence and people could tell, like, you know, they got that vibe that I was uncomfortable and, um, or if I was always just like, yeah, I'm good. It's like, people can kind of read us better than we know. Like they can see when things are incongruent with our body language versus what we're saying. And that actually makes people trust us less. Mm -hmm. That actually makes people like we talked about respect and trust us less. So I found that my relationships, I feel more confident in them. And I feel more confident in myself because as much as I can, because I know there's still ways that I'm probably lying to myself and other people because I'm human. Um, I feel the more truly confident that I've become, the more that I'm authentic and it feels real. hundred percent. I I could not agree more. Yeah. I I think as soon as I read the different versions of this, I I wondered the same of like what they're pursuing. Cause I agree when, when the pursuit is more towards authenticity, like you learn to feel comfortable speaking your truth and you also find your people, you find your tribe of people, you find your community, which anytime that we're hiding that it, it can easily feel disconnecting. And I've certainly had that at different times in my life as well. Um, we're going to do, we'll do lightning round for three more questions. I, I'll okay. tackle this one just because this was asked a million ways and you add to it and critique it. The, this question was asked by a lot of you. It's a, it's a worthy semantic question. What's the difference between self-confidence and self-worth? My understanding, Jenny, was always that self-worth is how you feel worthy or not worthy as a person. And that gets into how lovable or not lovable you feel. And in general, self-confidence was like, how confident do you feel to tackle the tasks of every day, new situations, new environments, solve problems? There's obviously overlap, but is there anything you would throw in or you're like, oh, this is how I think of it? No, that's really good because I think the two end up uh, getting confused because they can be so hand in hand. Like if we don't feel like we're worth doing, like we're worthy of something, we won't have the confident energy to go out there and do it. No. Right. But I think you, I think you nailed it pretty well in saying like it's the confidence is more about our actions and us knowing our strengths and weaknesses and being okay with them. Yep. Like being okay and being real and, and pursuing things anyway. Right. Like I think when people think, uh, confidence, they have to be fake. It's because they're like, I hate public speaking and I want to love it. And I'm like, okay, well maybe your confidence right now is you admitting, like I suck at public speaking and I'm going to put myself there out there anyway. That's confidence. Right. Love, love it. So yeah, totally. And couldn't agree more. Sometimes the the bar that we set things to is so extreme and negates our individuality, our personality. And as you put it so many times so well, our strengths. Totally. Uh, second question here. How do I support a partner who struggles with self-confidence? Oh, that's so good. I'm I so love glad that. that was asked. I love it. Okay. Part, part one of that is accepting that they struggle with self-confidence and you can't fix it. Totally. It's like the suckiest I'm a rescuer or I struggle with rescuing. So I hate those answers at first. Cause I'm like, gosh, darn it. What can I do? I think if you work to work on your own self-confidence, 
and are able to model that, like that definitely helps and, and encouraging them along the way, but encouraging in a way where you're not over-functioning. Because the problem is sometimes when people get stuck in the like, I need my partner to be this, and they're like over-encouraging or functioning for their partner, they end up ruining their self-confidence because guess what? They're doing things for their partner instead of saying, I think you got this. Like, I believe in you. I'm going to let you do this on your own. Right. Like, and, and so it's kind of this funny thing. I think part of the battle is like accepting that your partner struggles with that and, and believing that they can overcome it enough to where you don't end up over-functioning for them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Just like there can be helicopter parents, there can be helicopter partners, right? Both exist yes. out there and aren't great. Who would that be? Oh, not me. <laughs> We've never seen them. Never seen My them. My husband's like them. calling you out. <laughs> <laughs> Having a two-year-old, I'm already living it in my early parenting years of like, oh my gosh, just l- let him f- find out, let him make the mistake. Uh, and this is a very, I'm already laughing. <laughs> like, shout out to everybody who writes questions who thinks I'm not going to read your question because it's a little outlandish, but jokes on you, Instafam. I'm going to read the question. I don't care how weird it is. I like weird. I relate to weird. Me and Jenny are going to tackle it. So here's the question. Do you think Bigfoot has self-confidence or does he hide because he lacks it? First off, only thing I'll say is, can we say they? I, do I know Bigfoot's a he? I'm just going to, we're going to start with that. How about they? So what's up with Bigfoot's confidence? What's up with his confidence? Um, So, I mean, the mystery of Bigfoot is that we're, we're thinking all these questions, but we, we don't know shit. Right. So it's like, cause this could be confidence for him that he's like, I don't have to be around anybody or show myself. Right. You know what I mean? Like that could be confidence wow. that he's just like, wow. Um, I am who I am and I don't like to be around people. Peace. Wow. Right. I, I got to admit that was not my line of thinking, but I don't even <laughs> want to share mine. Cause that's so true. We no, don't I even hear know. Yours. Bigfoot is confidently dodging all the bullshit we talked about in society, right? Bigfoot's like, I'm like, not messing with that shit. Because <laughs> 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 that could be cop- what, Where were you going to go though? Because now I'm, my curiosity is peaked. I I was definitely thinking to myself that Bigfoot probably is just more introverted. Probably oh. is a little bit one of those people who likes to come out and and raise the allure about them by being in some grainy photos. And I, I gotta fully admit, <laughs> it's weird. I'm one of those people. I I definitely think there's aliens. I definitely think aliens have come here, but I don't believe in Bigfoot. So these are the hard, weird lines we draw as people. I'm the. If you want to talk aliens, we can talk aliens for a full episode. But Bigfoot, I'm just not. I don't, I don't believe there's enough evidence for Bigfoot. What exists, I think I think there's good evidence that that was actually a person in a costume. But I could be wrong. Let me spend some time out in the country and maybe I'll change my mind. <laughs> and what about no, in Kansas? Awesome. Are there Bigfoot sightings in Kansas? Is that a thing? You know, okay, so... I, this, I'm not super well versed on that. I will say though, one of the therapists that I work with, she talks about it and it is so fun. Like, I love it. I'm like, tell me more. Like there's just so many, and 
she's I don't even know if she necessarily believes in it, but she like follows a lot of stuff. Like it's like she does and she doesn't. She's like, I right. have healthy skepticism, but also did you know X, Y, and Z? And she's just like a wealth of information about that and all sorts of topics. So um, I think that would be a fun podcast in the future, by the way, just like <laughs> Bigfoot aliens. Like let's just throw down on some weird topics that, <laughs> just, <laughs> that I, are out there. Totally. Um, I would definitely tune in, but, um, but yeah, I have like a healthy sense of like, I can neither confirm nor deny that's like an uncertainty area for me, but I'm also like, you know, there might be some stuff out there that we don't understand. I love that because I feel like that is a lot of therapists, therapists in general, we tend to be pretty open. And even with Bigfoot, Mm -hmm. I agree. I'm open. I could have my mind changed or moved, but you got to be open as a therapist. We work with so many different people from so many different cultural backgrounds, so many different beliefs. This field is always changing and growing. Like I I just, there's one quality. I think a therapist needs to have something. It's like, you got to be pretty open and flexible to a degree for sure. Jenny, this has been so fun. Tell the people how they can follow you. Okay, so you guys can follow me on Instagram or TikTok. It's at Jenny Ann Helms. So my name before I got all married up and stuff. So J-E-N-N-Y-A-N-N-H-E-L-M-S. And you can find my book for pre-order on Amazon already. Um, Again, it's Beneath Your Bullshit. And I'm really excited to share that with you guys. So those are the best ways to connect. We are so excited to dive into that when it comes out November 1st. Check the show notes, everyone. You'll be able to follow Jenny there and also find the link to the book. Thanks so much, Jenny. Let's do this again sometime. Thank you, Justin. If you like this, share it with the group chat. Always love your feedback, your comments, and always love reading a good review or a review. I'll take an authentic one as well. All right, y'all. We'll see you all next time.